When Sarah Miles was 46 years old, she wandered into a church, tasted a piece of bread, and had a sip of wine. Prior to that moment, Sarah Miles had zero interest in religion. Zero. Well-traveled and liberal and lesbian, Sarah had become so skeptical of what she had seen and heard from the church, particularly the church's fundamentalist or exclusive or judgmental iterations. She had never been baptized. She never read much of the Bible. She had never spoken the words of the Lord's Prayer. But on a certain day in downtown San Francisco, someone invited Sarah to the Lord's table at St. Gregory's of Nyssa Episcopal Church. And this is what Sarah says about that day. Something outrageous and terrifying happened. Jesus happened to me. Sarah felt dizzy. She felt overwhelmed. She felt charged for life. She felt filled. Suddenly, she believed. Here's what she says in her memoir entitled, Take This Bread. I could not reconcile the experience with anything I knew or I had been told before. But neither could I go away. For some inexplicable reason, I wanted that bread again. I wanted it all the next day after my first communion and the next week and the next. It was a sensation as urgent as physical hunger pulling me back to the table. As the story goes, Sarah went back to the table again and again. She went back to St. Gregory's of Nyssa Episcopal Church in San Francisco the next Sunday and the next Sunday. Not only did she convert to Christianity, she devoted herself entirely to a faith rooted in the most ordinary and subversive practices of the church, the Lord's table, where all are welcome, including the honored and the dishonored, outcast and insiders from east, from west, from north, from south, from mud huts and mega cathedrals where all are welcome to come to taste, to discover that God is present and God is good. In fact, Sarah Miles partnered with St. Gregory's to create a massive food pantry where the poor and the elderly and the homeless and the sick and anyone else who could come People, they would come to the table and people were fed. The same table where she received First Communion, they were invited to that table. And so moved by her sense of being fed at the Lord's table, she helped create a place where people could find welcome and also fruit and vegetables and rice and beans and cereal and bread and canned goods and peanut butter. The church became a place of hospitality and feeding because of Sarah's faith and because of Sarah's focus and because of Sarah's leadership. Here's what Sarah also says. Holy communion knocked me upside down and forced me to deal with the impossible reality of God. 
And then as conversion continued, she says, relentlessly challenging my assumptions about religion and politics and meaning, God forced me to deal with all kinds of people. And I wound up not in some not in what some church people like to call the community of believers, which tends to be code for a like-minded club, but in something huger and wilder than I'd ever expected. It was the suffering, the fractious, and the unboundaried body of Christ. Sarah's major insight from this whole experience of conversion and faith and church and what church could be seems to be this. If people are hungry, then let them come. Invite them to come. In fact, help them come. God meets our hungers. God is real and meets our hungers. And God calls us to meet the hungers of the world. I'm sensing a great deal of hunger in these days. A great deal of hunger. We are so deeply saddened and troubled by yet another horrible shooting on another college campus. We continue to see senseless deaths of promising young people and a lifetime of heartache and trauma for so many people who are close to that scene. This happens because of accessibility to guns and another maladjusted and angry young man. As the president expressed, haven't we had enough of this? Haven't we? Or as many of us might be asking, aren't we smart enough? Aren't we big enough? Aren't we bold enough to do something about this? Or do we just keep accepting it? I hope I'm speaking for all of us. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for something more. Something different. Something better. Something life-giving. Than the senseless killing and this culture of violence and guns and death. I recall something that Holocaust survivor and peace writer and fantastic theologian Elie Wiesel once said. I heard Elie Wiesel give a talk about the danger of indifference. Wiesel said people perish because of indifference. Indifference is more cruel than anything, he says. It's something we slide right into. Indifference, especially when things seem so inevitable. If we're not careful, we become indifferent. Indifferent to faith, indifferent to joy, indifferent to life, indifferent to one another, indifferent to the concerns of the culture, the concerns of the world, indifferent to God. The consequence of indifference, Wiesel says, is death. Death to humanity. Death to all that would give us life. Is God looking at us in these days and seeing indifference? Wiesel says it can't be that way. We can't be indifferent. We have to fight against indifference and then we'll find life and hope and possibility and joy and peace and more. 
Maybe this, why, this is why the Pope's visit last week was so enthralling to so many of us. He spoke about real things in a real way. He urges us with his own authenticity to be authentic, to be engaged, to be caring, to be expansive with our love, to be everything but indifferent. We know the dangers of indifference, but we get lured there, we get pulled there. Oh, it's another shooting, too bad about that. We can't be indifferent. Can't be indifferent. Indifference leads to death, and we know this all too well. I'm sensing a great hunger in these days. Some of us continue to be hungry because of issues not far away in Oregon, not far away in Syria, not in other, some other part of the world, but sincere challenges with our own lives. A fresh diagnosis of cancer makes you hungry. Hungry for hope. Hungry for help. Hungry for care. Hungry for calm. Hungry for light amidst the darkness that covers you. A rigorous regimen of chemotherapy Another full day of grief, maybe, or loneliness, maybe. That'll make you hungry. Or another day of fighting depression. That'll make you hungry. Hungry for energy so you can get out of bed. Hungry for courage to get through the day. Hungry for peace amidst the swirling issues that become oppressive. Weigh you down, wear you out. I'm sensing some hunger, and I wonder if you are. Our first lesson today is usually read in the month of December when we're close to Christmas. Our first lesson, the prophet Isaiah, is a passage of promise the coming of the Messiah and this peaceable kingdom bringing hope and possibility and light and life to the land. Well, the context of this passage in chapter 11 is actually tremendous failure. Failure. The failure of God's people to live as God's people. The failure of the world to emerge as a world of peace and harmony and hope, which is what God intends. I think we know about this. Failure. What happened in the biblical story just prior to Isaiah chapter 11? Well, some moments were good. Some moments were wonderfully good, in fact. But most moments were, well, shameful. Uh, the kings proved corrupt. The people lived with mostly self-interest, not God-interest. They didn't care for each other. They took advantage of each other, actually. Nations and people were bickering. God intended the world to move toward the reign of God and the world was actually moving in the opposite direction. God kept urging the people to worship and build community and peace and make for harmony with one another and the people kept fighting wars, fussing with each other, refusing to worship, refusing to serve God and injustice and inhumanity became pervasive. But despite the failure, 
the prophet Isaiah text, and the text offers promise. A shoot, a blooming little piece of growth will emerge from a stump. New life will emerge out of tragedy and loss. That's the promise. God will not give up on God's people. That's the promise. And there in the vision of Isaiah, we get this wonderful depiction that Ginger just reviewed for us a moment ago, the depiction of God's reign. The wolf and the lamb lie down together. They will not hurt nor destroy on God's holy mountain. And the earth will be covered with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. That's expansive. Peace, wholeness, hope. Maybe it will be like Sarah Miles discovered at St. Gregory's of Nyssa. The impossible reality of God. It was overwhelming for her. Maybe that'll be the case for us at some point soon. Awesome, changing, charging, filling everything with life and purpose. How do we get there? How do we get from here to there? We have another lesson today. I haven't read it yet. It's from the New Testament. It comes from Matthew 5, verse 9. This is what it says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Here's how this same verse is translated in Eugene Peterson's The Message. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. How do we get from here to there? How do we? We know we can't redeem the whole world. There are plenty of issues that are way bigger than us. We can't bring about peace and wholeness everywhere as imagined by Isaiah and his vision. God will do that. That's the promise. It's God's world and God will bring it about. But Jesus reminds us that it is very much about us. It's very much about me and it's very much about you and it's very much about our lives together. Jesus reminds us that we're to use our lives and we're to use our gifts, which are plenty, Help people cooperate instead of compete and fight. And then you really discover who you really are and your place in God's family. It's a calling for our lives. Jesus uh, spoke that. The Jews have a term for what Jesus talks about. The Jews call it tikkun olam. It's a phrase that means the repairing of the world, the healing to the world. It's a reminder, tikkun alam, that all of us have gifts and all of us are going to have opportunities every day. All of us have spiritual and faithful obligations to do our part, to mend the world where we can, one act at a time, one person at a time, one day at a time. That's our calling. Each and every act of kindness, of care, of mercy, mends a fracture of the world. That's the thought. The way from here to there takes time. The way from here to there remains fully dependent on God, whose steadfast love endures forever. It remains dependent on God. 
and God's love and God's faithfulness. There are setbacks along the way. There are selfish deeds. There are senseless moments of violence. There are egregious and hurtful acts that hurt and destroy. But, but our calling never ceases. We're to give our moments we're to give our energies, we're to give our very selves to the mending of the world, working for peace and light every chance we have. Save a life, and you begin to save the world. Change a life, and you begin to change the world. And as long as there are mean people with guns, and as long as there are nasty diseases that start growing within us, and as long as there are grave disappointments that come our way, and as long as there are hard moments when we're not sure we can get out of the bed, as long as all that's going on, there is our work to be done. As long as people hate and selfishness lures us, And as long as we're on this side of the moment when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, then, friends, we have work to do. We have work to do. We can't be indifferent. God keeps calling us individually and together to work for God's promises and God's coming reign. It's a beautiful reign. We have the vision. We know where to go. We're called to do it. Each day, every moment, always with our lives. Let's keep at it, friends. Mending this fractured world. Trusting in God's promises and presence. Striving to be peacemakers. That is our calling. That is our hope and our purpose. That's how we get from here to there. And even when we're weak, even when we're weak, a strength beyond our strength has pulled us along thus far. And even when we're foolish and floundering and not sure what to do, a wisdom beyond our wisdom is lighting a path before us. And faint of heart as we can get, a love beyond our love gives us power and purpose to keep moving forward. It's about God. And we're God's people. So we gather with hungry hearts at this table. And we're fed, fed by the God of the universe. We discover God's presence and we discover God's promises and we discover a purpose that's ours. Mending the world. And we seek to leave this place fed so that we can feed and be a blessing to others. May it be so today and tomorrow and forever. For God is our help and strength. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O Lord, help our unbelief, and indeed strengthen us for lives, lives of love and peace to men the world, following Christ our Lord. Amen.